Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again to Central. We're so glad to have you join us on this journey of transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. And I hope that's what you experience among this community, among these people, Jesus alive and at work here today. This winter and spring, we are studying a life by design. That is, how does God's Ten Commandments govern and regulate how we live together as a community? Because those Ten Commandments are in many ways a blueprint for how God's people flourish in His own world. And this week, we come to the fourth commandment in which God calls us as His people to rest. Now, maybe this morning you're wondering, why is that all that important? I mean, sure, rest, I, we appreciate it, we love it, but why does rest make God's top ten? I mean, if He's going to give us ten words about how we live and work together, why is rest so important? I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, the pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It's page 61 in your pew Bible. And we're also going to look a little later in the message at Matthew chapter 12, verses 8 and following. It's on pages 816 and 817 in your Bible. Would you pray with me as we turn to his word? Oh, Lord. We ask that by your spirit you would open our eyes and help us to behold you in your beauty, in your glory, and in your grace. Help us, Lord, to know that we are loved as your people. And so, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Hear God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner or stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, Matthew 12, beginning in verse 8, this, this is, these are Jesus' words. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man who was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Are you aware of the deep desires and longings that lurk within your heart? I mean, the things that are underneath, the things that maybe you lean into to provide a, a sense of peace or calm or rest when maybe your world feels out of whack. Do you know those feelings in your own heart. I remember when Missy and I had an adoption 
fall through. And some of you were here in this church when that happened, we were here before. And it, for us, it felt like a death in our family. And so the way Missy and I tried to cope with this pain is we did a little bit of retail therapy. We went to an outlet mall and bought all kinds of stuff we had no need for and just hoping that we would be distracted a little bit. Just something to take our mind and our heart off of the lament and the pain that we were experiencing. What is it that you lean into that provides a sense of peace or calm in tumultuous days? Some of us, in fact, 50 million people a year go to Disney World. And some of the people going to Disney World are trying to do this. They're trying to stuff the happiest place on earth into that spot in their heart, that hole in our heart, the longings of our heart, so that just for a little while, we might feel connected and everything's okay. We're, we're going to be hanged together as a family. We'll be okay. We try to use Disney to fill up that part in our heart somehow. Not everybody, but certainly some. And as great as Disney World is, and this is not about Disney, I love Disney World. If we're using it for that purpose, it ultimately is not going to work. Because friends, the, the longings in our heart are meant for something deeper, to, to point us to someone deeper. And it's, it's the living Lord Jesus. We've been made for more. Maybe our hearts are looking to be distracted on a lookout for Mickey, but you and I have been made for the master. We've been made for someone deeper, something that's more significant, more satiating than Disney could ever satisfy, or shopping, or sports, or sex, or power, or money, or whatever things we might use to try to plug the holes of longing in our hearts. As St. Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. And that's why Sunday is so important. The Lord's day, the, the day that God's people gather together as his family, we experience him in worship, his presence. And what we're doing in worship is a weekly rehearsal for the day when we will see him face to face. And we will gather together with all God's people across the generations and around the world, and we will feast at his banquet table together with a God who has made everything right Everything wrong in this world one day set right again and we get to sit in fellowship with the God who put it right. And he assures us that we're loved, that we're valued, we're, we're held firmly in his faithful love forever. That's what we're doing in church on Sunday. It's a weekly rehearsal for that day that's coming in the future. Now, maybe that's not how you think about church. Maybe that's not how you experience sometimes gathering with the Lord's people on his day. But friends, that's what the Lord promises. That's what the Lord is doing among us as his family today. And so I want to take just a few minutes of our time this morning and try to lift our eyes, lift our eyes just a little bit to see if we can't experience and see what God is doing among his people on the Sabbath day. So what are the benefits what are the blessings that God offers to us on this day of worship? Well, three of them we'll talk about this morning. The first one is this, it's rest. God offers us rest on the Sabbath day. It's an invitation to physical rest where we stop work. In fact, that's what the original Hebrew Sabbath means. It means to cease. It means to stop. So we stop 
working. I'm going to rest on this one day and following the pattern of God's work week. God worked six days and rested one, and you and I follow the same pattern. And if you notice, it's not just about individuals, not just about you and I stopping our work, but our families, sons and daughters, or people who work with you, your business, your livestock, everyone with whom you are associated are to be provided an opportunity to rest and to recover. Now, I want you to hear this very clearly. That command to rest is not at its root because you are a sinner. That's not what's behind it. But rather, it's because you're a creature. God is our creator and we are creatures. And it is good and it is a great thing that the Lord has created us with limits and with boundaries. The limits and boundaries in our lives aren't because we're sinners, but God has given us a gift And it's a gift of inability to be on 24-7. He's given us the gift of an inability to be hyper-focused on everything all the time. He's given us limits. He's built rest into the rhythm of how he's made us and how we thrive in this world. It's a good thing for you and I to have one day in seven and be asked to stop and remember that we're not omnicompetent to stop and remember that I can't do everything. I can't do everything all the time. I don't have the power to do it. And it's a good thing that I recognize and own I have limits. It's a good thing once a week to stop and remember I'm not omnipresent. I can't be in everybody's life. I can't meet all the needs of all the people around me. Maybe even everybody who wants a piece of me. I don't have the ability to stand in that relationship and be present with everyone all the time. It's a gift of God to remind us that we have limits. It's a gift of God to remind us that neither are we omniscient. We don't know what may be best in the future. We can't see our way through some hard things sometimes and it's good for us to stop one day a week and rest and remember I can't do everything, I can't meet everybody's needs and I'm not even sure what the right step for the future is. It's a good gift that God has given us to stop and rest as his creatures who are dependent on him as a creator. Resting is a faith commitment. It's being willing to say before God and the world that, Lord, I believe that you can provide for me seven days when I only work six. Believe me, rather believe God, you can take a rest and the Lord still meet your needs. But sometimes we we glory in our busyness, don't we? You know what I mean? I've got so much going on. Can't you see how important I am? I have so much happening in my life. I'm overwhelmed with all that I have to do, all the responsibilities that I have. I'm so overwhelmed. I have to write this paper. I had to paint this room. I had to do the payroll. I had to write 14 letters. I had to file my taxes, on and on and on. I am so busy, I can't stop. It's a little humorous to me the way that the Lord stated his reason in this commandment. I think he's saying something like this. Look, son, daughter, I know you're busy. I know you're overwhelmed. I know that you have more than plenty to do in this world. But um, I built the whole thing in six days. (laughs) I built everything you can see. And it only took me six days. I did all this work. And so I think you can probably take a day off to recover. 
from all the busyness in your life, the things that you feel called to do. Friends, don't believe the lie that you are so important, that we are so indispensable that God needs us to work around the clock or our world is gonna completely fall apart. Don't believe that lie. Remember, Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's not we who do it. It's not our grasping for power that upholds our universe. Jesus does. And he gives us one day in seven to rest and remember whose we are. But there's an even deeper rest that's provided beyond the physical, and it comes when we remember so we rest as a benefit of the Sabbath day. We also remember. But remember what? Well, you might know that the Ten Commandments are given to us in Exodus chapter 20, but a second giving of the law comes in the book of Deuteronomy, the second law. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the commands are pretty much uh, the same, except in the fourth commandment, there's another reason that Moses lists for why we are called to remember. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He's saying, remember, you once were slaves. And you didn't have any ability to stop working one day a week. You were under the thumb of Pharaoh. You had to keep working because of uh, you're, you're, you're under the rule of a tyrant and you can't stop. You can't have a Sabbath. That's who you were, but not any longer. The Lord has delivered. The Lord has done significant work, a magnificent work to free us from our slavery, not only to the work, but of slavery to sin and death and the devil himself. Remember that blood of the lamb that God had his people put over their doorposts of their homes? He told them, if you believe in the promise that God is going to deliver and bring you out of Egypt, sacrifice a lamb and put it over the doorpost of your house and the angel of death who brings judgment will pass over your home and you will be saved from judgment. We're saved from judgment by that blood of the lamb given freedom, given freedom from all kinds of enslavement by the blood of the lamb as God's people believed and trusted him. Friends, you and I have a similar dynamic where it's because of the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus, who is called Christ, our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 6. We are also set free from all kinds of slavery, any manner of slavery. We've been set free. The Lord says, remember that on the Sabbath day. If you know your Old Testament well, you might remember that there's a pattern, that one in seven pattern. It's not just one day in seven, but one year in seven and seven sevens. So one year in, out of 49, you have a 50th year and it's called the Jubilee. It's a, it's, a, it's a declaration of freedom when old debts were forgiven. When people had been indentured and enslaved for whatever reason, they were set free on Jubilee years. And land that had passed from one family to another was returned to the original family in Jubilee year. It's called Jubilee, remembering that God has done something magnificent to set his people free. Remember, one day in seven, one year in seven, and one year out of every 50, which is celebrate this freedom that we've been given. 
Now what you might not know is that in Hebrew, the word jubilee has the root of that word jubal, which means ram's horn. And a ram's horn was made into a trumpet, and that trumpet would be blown to mark the one day in seven, the one year in seven, the one year in 50. It would be blown to mark the freedom that God had provided from all kinds of slavery, all kinds of enslavement, enslavement from sin and death and the devil. Blow the horn to remember we've been set free. Why a ram's horn? What's the deal with doing that? Well, like so many things in the Bible, it goes back to Abraham. Remember, Abraham marched his son Isaac up the Mount Moriah after God had told him to sacrifice his son, the son of the promise, the son through whom the the world would be saved, the nations would would come to know the, the, the blessing of God. God told Abraham, sacrifice that son. And remember, as Abraham bound him to the altar and Abraham raised his knife, what did God do? He said, stop, stop, Abraham. Look over here, there's a ram caught in the thicket. There's a ram in the thicket and caught by his horns and that ram was God's provision so that Isaac would be set free. He would be set free from death so that God's people blow the horn to remember that Lord has provided. The Lord provides a sacrifice. The Lord provides a life instead. The Lord announces a jubilee of being set free from death itself, set free from all kinds of enslavements. They blow the ram's horn. To remember, God provides a way out for his people. God provides a sacrifice. Ram's horn reminds us of being set free, just as, friends, you and I remember and celebrate a life that was offered instead. A lamb of God who was caught not in a thicket, but caught with a crown of thorns around his head. As he was hanged on a cross to die and set us free from sin and death. It's jubilee. It's freedom. It's grace that's announced because the Lamb of God was slain for you. And we remember it every week in worship. God says, remember, you used to be slaves, but no longer. I have provided and set you free. There's there's a deep soul rest that can come when we remember that we are marked by a gospel of God's provision. A work of his grace alone, not not what we have done for ourselves, but what God has done for us. And so we gather every week, one day out of seven, to remember that the rest that comes from the finished work of Christ, that Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead in victory over sin and death itself, even over evil. Why? Why do we have to remember it one day in seven? Because we live with gospel amnesia. We forget it so often. We forget the truth that we've been delivered at a hand that's not our own. That God has provided his grace. God has provided his deliverance. We come to worship every week to be reminded of what Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days with malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we were, friends. Slaves to all manner of sins and evil. But, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So God gives us the gift of stopping one day out of seven to remember what God has done for us. We haven't saved ourselves. God has saved us. God reached into our lives and freed us from all the slavery that controlled and dominated our lives. In fact, he calls us to stop and make this whole day to rotate around that remembering of his mercy, the work that God has done that we don't deserve because we were slaves, we hated God, we hated one another, and yet because of the Lamb of God slain for our sins, we are forgiven and we've been set free. We need to hear it every week because we forget it every day. God gives us a day to stop and be reminded of the mercy that he's given to people like us. To stop and be reminded in a community of people where by his spirit we are learning to love one another and care for one another. To stop and remember the mercy we've received from God that we extend to one another. We need it every week because we forget it every day. It's an application of this truth that may be painful for some of us. Some of us orient our Sunday around something that's other than God's mercy. We orient our day around something that's not a celebration of mercy. Sometimes we orient our weekends around travel sports. And the game, the competition, the the sport is the main thing. And if I can manage to squeeze church in, well, that's a bonus. Okay, that's great. But it's not God's mercy around which our lives rotate. It's the competition. It's the victory. Or some of us rotate our lives not around God's mercy on Sunday, but rather there's this killer brunch at this restaurant that I really love. And I managed to get a reservation for this brunch and we do it as often as we can and we'll make it. And if we can manage to find our way to church, then that's gravy, that's great. We feel satisfied in something that's less than. Friends, Whatever it might be, it might be scouting, it might be traveling, it might, who knows what it is in your life and mine. But friends, what God wants us to know here is that when we come to church, we come to feast at the banquet table of the mercy of God. And we're being told once again that Jesus has saved you fully and completely. And there's nowhere else in your life where you can go and have that message to give rest to your souls. It's not going to come from travel sports. You're not going to find rest by winning the weekend tournament. You're not going to find rest for your souls by performing and earning a medal because performing and competition always demands more of you, always grasps more about you. There's nowhere else that you are going to go in any place in your life where you will hear God tell you, I love you. Although you've sinned, You've rebelled against me. You've hated me. You've hated your neighbor. And yet I have laid hold of your life through the blood of my son. And I will never let you go. Never, ever can anything pry you out of my hands because you belong to me. I have loved you. Nowhere else in your life are you going to go and hear that whatever circumstances are challenging you in your life right now, whatever hardship you are facing, God says, I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. I, whatever's going on in your extended family, God says, I am covenant with you. I have committed myself to you. Nowhere else, nowhere else is the world going to reinforce that truth that we remember on this one day out of seven. We belong not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. What I'm wanting to do is advocate that you would seek to find a way to make a weekly rhythm of gospel recovery in your life. A weekly rhythm of reminding yourself, reminding your family, basking in the mercy of God offered to people like you and me. God's made us to have that kind of a rhythm. He's created us to enjoy that kind of rhythm in which we remember his provision for us. So we remember the Sabbath day because on the Sabbath day we remember that God has made us holy by his work, by the work of his son. But what are the benefits of a, of a day of worship? We, we get to rest. And we have the privilege of remembering the profound mercy of God. And finally, we anticipate. We anticipate something as we come for worship. We've been talking about Sabbath, which the last day of the week, Saturday. So why do we at Central, why do New Testament Christians worship on Sunday? What's the deal? Well, it's because of what the Sabbath points us to anticipate, or rather the one whom the Sabbath points us to anticipate. You probably guessed it, it's, it's all about Jesus. Sunday, the first day of the week, was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead to bring a new kingdom, to bring new life, to bring new patterns, to bring new love, to bring new holiness, to bring a completely new existence to his people. We see that pattern develop in the New Testament where the early church began to worship not on the last day of the week, on Saturday, but on the first day of the week, on Sunday, the day of resurrection. We see it clearly taught in John 20 and lots of places in Acts. It's explicitly mentioned in Acts chapter 20. Other places like 1 Corinthians 16, Revelation 1, the early church began to worship on Sunday because it was the first day of a new era, the first day of a new eternity, a promised new kingdom, a day of resurrection, a day when the Lord Jesus walked out of the grave and proved that death itself was defeated, that sin was put away, and the devil has been conquered by our king who's triumphed. And so that, that old covenant pattern of we work for six days, work, 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 and then you get to rest at the end, was flipped upside down. The Lord Jesus on the day of resurrection has his work be finished. That finished work of Christ on his cross and in his resurrection. So you and I, rather than working and then resting, the Lord says, because of my finished work, we start with rest. Everything about your life is defined by the rest that the Lord Jesus gives you and to me. And we work our lives out of that rest, not trying to prove ourselves, but responding to what Jesus has done for you and for me. We live out of that victory of Jesus remaking all of creation. And we gather together and worship as a people of weekly rehearsal, a weekly reminder of an eternity that will be spent with a God who has made everything right. 
why we gather on Sunday. To remember that everything that's broken in this world one day will be no more. Everything that's wrong about our lives, one day Jesus will repair it and restore it and it is sealed by his death and his resurrection. The one who sits on the throne is guaranteed that it will be so. When so much goes wrong in our world and so much goes wrong in our own lives, we need this weekly rhythm to be reminded of the victory of God, that he has triumphed over our sin. He's triumphed over what is broken in this world. That's what's behind that text of Matthew 12 that I read earlier in our service today. Jesus, once again, was being trapped by the Pharisees. They were trying to argue with him about what you can do or what you can't do on the Sabbath day. And the conversation made its way to talk about healing. Is it legitimate to heal on the Sabbath day, the day when we remember that we've been set free? Is that a good use of the day? Well, Jesus pointed these Pharisees to his sheep and said, could you not rescue your sheep when it's lost? And the unspoken answer is, of course. Of course you could do that. And Jesus then pointed to a man, a man with a withered hand, and asked, is he not worth more than your sheep? This man who's broken, this man who's here, is, is it not a legitimate use of remembering we've set, been set free for this man to experience healing. This guy would have been trapped in shame. This was a man whose hand was withered and in those days, many in the synagogue, especially the Pharisees, would have seen a man with a withered hand as someone who's unclean. Someone who has great shame, but done something in his life, his family's done something, and this stigma, this shame is the judgment of God. And so whenever this man would come to the synagogue, he would keep that hand hidden, hidden under his cloak so that no one would see. Jesus' question is, does a shamed man it's a man who has obvious needs. Does, does he not belong among my people on a day like this when we celebrate remembering all that God has done to set us free? Does he belong here? So Jesus drew this man out and told him, stretch out your hand. Imagine what that must have been like for that man. Would you have stretched out your hand? I don't know that I would have. Is taking his hand out of his cloak and showing it to Jesus so that everybody there could look on his shame. Everybody there would see the reason he's rejected and have his re rejection reinforced. See, we told you something's wrong with this guy. We knew he didn't belong here. We knew that he belonged on the outside. Would he dare expose his need, his shame before Jesus, before all these other people? I'm not sure that I would have. We all like to hide. But this man stretched out his hand and Jesus healed it. I wonder, had he ever seen that hand whole before in his whole life? Maybe it had been mangled since birth. Maybe he had an accident, we don't know. But how long had it been since this man saw two whole hands? How long had it been that this man could stand before these other people without shame, without stigma, 
without concern that I don't belong in a place like this. But Jesus healed that man. He was restored. He was made whole. He was healed because that's what the Lord's day is all about. It's about healing. It's about the day of resurrection. It's about Jesus undoing the curse of sin. It's about the Lord Jesus the ram in the thicket, the lamb crowned with a crown of thorns who was crucified and raised in victory over every touch, every taint of sin in this world. And one day it will no longer be here. One day it will be away forever. That's what Sunday's supposed to be about. Gathering with God's people is about people who are being restored by Jesus. Forgiven, yes, and restored, freed from all kinds of slaveries unto which we subject our lives. What Jesus was teaching here in Matthew 12 is it is safe to expose your need before a Jesus who loves to restore. It is safe to hold out your hands, your hands filled up with need. It is safe to trust Jesus with your needs. We come and worship with God's people to remember, friends, that sin does not have the last word over your life. Whatever's been broken about your life, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, that does not have the defining word about your life. Jesus does. And we come on Sunday to remember that the grave has been plundered and the grave does not pronounce the last word over your life. Jesus does. And your guilt, we all have incredible guilt that we want to hide. We want no one else to see. But that guilt has been permanently dealt with by the Lamb of God who has set us free. That guilt does not have the last word over your life. Jesus does. And evil and sin and the devil, he's been defeated. Evil does not have the last word over your life or this world because on the Lord's day we remember the victory of Jesus. We remember that our king has conquered. We rest and we rest in what he's done for us and we anticipate that one day, one day, everything is going to be made new. That's what the fourth commandment is about. Resting and remembering and anticipating the victory of God come down. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we're overwhelmed not only with our busyness, but we're overwhelmed that you love us the way that you do. You have pronounced the defining word over our lives. You've written forgiven over our sin in your own blood. You have cast down the evil one and plundered all of his power. You have completely destroyed death and it sting has been removed because Jesus, you were raised from the dead and you promise that we shall be too. And so Lord, we come and gather with your people And we need you every week. We need you today to lift up our heads that we might see the king of glory who has come. And we might know the rest that we can have in you, the the remembering of you setting us free. And would you give us hearts that long for and anticipate the day when you will make everything right again. 
Jesus, fill us with that hope and do it among us as a community of people, your dear children. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.